I was uh, reminded, I had a friend in Texas who was accused of preaching way too long. And so the church put a clock back in the back for him to look at. And every once in a while while he was preaching, people would literally do this. But he fixed that. Put a sign right underneath it that said, Remember Lot's wife. So you heard the one about the little boy asked his father one day, he says, Dad, what does it mean when the preacher does this? He said, it means to stand up. Okay. What does it mean when the preacher does this? It means to sit down. He said, okay. So, Daddy, what does it mean when the preacher does this? He said, nothing, son, absolutely <laughs> nothing. Good morning, church. Let's begin with a prayer. Father, we begin this morning very simply, asking you through your written word, through the example of your son and your spirit who dwells in our hearts, open our eyes to see the things you want us to see, open our ears to hear the things you want us to hear. Open our minds, Father, to learn those things. And then, Father, open our hearts. Open our hearts to live the things that we see in your word, that we hear from you, and, Father, the things that we learn. Because it does absolutely no good to know your word if we're not willing to live it. And that means, Father, it goes from our head to our heart, because our heart is what we change. And so, Father, this morning, that's very simply our prayer. We want to be your kind of people. We want to live your word. And more than anything, Father, we want to be like your son, Jesus Christ. And we give you glory and praise as together we all say amen. I want to share with you guys a concern I have this morning. I've had a concern for a long time, and I hope you have the same concern. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the concern is this. Church is losing 70 to 80% of its young people. Does that bother you? What are we going to do about it? We're going to wring our hands? We're going to talk about it. This morning, I want to share with you something that every one of us in this room can do to potentially stop this from happening. And the reason I share that with you is because I talk to a lot of young people and I ask them, you know, why? I talk to my son. I talk to others. What, what is this? And there's a lot, wide variety of reasons, but the one I want to share with you this morning is something that each one of us can do to try to overcome that in the future. And this is what I often hear from young people. And they say, I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I wasn't allowed to express my doubts. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, what would happen if someone is not allowed to ask questions or to express their doubts? What do you think would happen? They want to what? All right, number one, they're not going to no longer stay interested in what we're teaching. Yes, ma'am. Now, I don't want to talk about the world. I want to talk about in the church. No, we're losing it. What is going to happen if a young person in the church is not allowed to ask questions or express their doubts? Okay. It's going to happen. What's happening up here, they're going to what? They're going to leave. Julie, go ahead. Okay. What else? Rick?
typically they're going to find, go somewhere where somebody's going to give them answers or they're not going to ask, they're going to quit asking and when that opportunity comes and they're on their own, they're going to quit. Now most of us, most people's faith journey because, begins with what I call because of faith. Most of us in this room probably came to Christ initially because of someone else. Who was that someone else in your life? A co-worker. All right, your family, your parents. All right, yes, Lorna. All right, your husband, Mom, same way my wife, Debbie, brought me to Christ after we were married. So most of us begin our journey, and that's a beginning with because of faith is a good place. It's a great start, but it's not very secure. It's not very sure because you're a, a child. I love what Peter says here. Like newborn babies crave the pure spiritual milk, so they buy it, you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So we've tasted the Lord is good, and it's a good start, but our faith really needs to go beyond, from because of faith to what I call this I know faith. And this I know faith comes or happens when questions are asked and people are allowed to express their doubts. Now, we're going to look at two scriptures today, John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 4. A little bit later, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at two examples of both of what happened, this very thing happening, where people are allowed to ask questions or are asking questions, and people are allowed to express their doubts. Excuse me. John chapter 4 begins this way. Jesus is leaving Judea, because the Judea was the political hotspot. So he's leaving Judea, Jerusalem, and he's going to Galilee, where he typically, most of his ministry took place. Well, there's a very interesting statement in verse 4. It says, he had to go through Samaria. Now, that's not true. He didn't have to go. He chose to go. Jesus chose to put himself in contact with people, and especially the phrase, those people. There's nothing that angers me more in the church than to hear someone say, those people. Do you realize that you and I are those people to those people? Okay? Who did Jesus come to save? Who did Jesus come to save? Everyone, including those people. You see, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to because typically... When you went from Judea to Galilee, or you went from Galilee down to Judea, what you would do is you would take this route, there's a valley right here, you'd cross over the Jordan River over here into the Decapolis, Decapolis and you would come down and you'd take this other valley area over here. Because what you wanted to do is you wanted to avoid the Samaritans. Now what was interesting is most of the Jews would go through here were just full of Gentiles. So something about Samaritans, they didn't want to be in their contact. But so, so what they would typically do is cross over, to go back and forth between Judea and, and uh, Galilee, but you notice it said that he had to go through Samaria, so Jesus chose, and he goes up here to a town called Sychar. Now, he gets up there, and there's a, the well for the town is about two miles outside of town. Jesus sat down by the, by the well. Again, Jesus chose to put himself in contact with people, and he knew somebody was going to come out to that well. And sure enough, while he was there, a woman came to draw water. Now, this is about noon. And she is by herself. Two miles away. Would you have done that by yourself? 
in a very hostile environment? No. She didn't have a choice. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. All right. So he, Jesus sat down by a well where a woman came to draw water. And while she is there, he asks her a question. He initiates the conversation. And the woman is shocked. She even says that. How can you talk to me? You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. You are a man and I am a woman. She is totally shocked. But what happens is that Jesus, and then they begin to talk. First of all, they talk about water, and they get into living water, the, which I believe is the Spirit of God. But in the course of their conversation that starts off ordinary about water, it eventually gets over into the concept of worship, and we, we're not going to spend any time with that right now. But they get into worship, and then she makes this statement. I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything and what's that word right there say to us who's the us now most jewish rabbis or pharisees at this point if she would have said he will explain everything to us they would have said you're not part of the us we are the us and you are you're not you're one of them so she says this i know the messiah is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us and then jesus says this i who speak to you am he where did i put my water oh right here okay what's he saying to her what is that statement jesus said what is he saying to her First of all, who is the Messiah? Well, okay, a little bit more. What does the word Messiah mean? The chosen one of God. The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, you have to remember, folks, at that time, the politics and the religion of that day, the Jews did not see the Messiah as being there for who? anyone else he is for us and what us alone right now as far as I can tell and I'm still open to studying this this is the first time Jesus acknowledges to a person outside of his disciples that he is the chosen one of God chapter 3 he had the opportunity to share that with Nicodemus the teacher of Israel but he doesn't tell that to Nicodemus but he tells this to this woman. What else do you know about her? What else do you know about her? She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. Come on, let's go a little further. She's been married numerous times. And she's presently living in... I'll let that sink in for a minute. He doesn't share that I'm the Messiah with Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He shares it with this person who is basically an outcast. I know. 
But I want you to think about the impact of this. He acknowledges, he admits. And what's interesting, he basically says, I am. Right? And we know what, how Israel viewed the, the scriptures that talked about I am, right? So then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now, I've been reading, excuse me, let me back up. Finished reading a book recently called Irresistible, an incredible book. Next to the New Testament, the best book I've ever read. And in this book, the writer makes three statements that are so powerful. He says, number one, people who weren't like Jesus, like Jesus. Look at how often it says in the scriptures that the crowds were following Jesus. Now, why? It wasn't just because of the miracles. They followed Jesus because we, Jesus was willing to go to, he was willing to go to them. He didn't open the doors on a Sunday morning and said, hey, Vero Beach, we're open for business and expect people to come flocking in. He went out to where they were. All right? So people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked people who weren't like him. But the people who should have liked Jesus You know, Jesus said in John chapter 16, I think it was, to his disciples, he says, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Now, question, which world? Which world hated Jesus? The secular world or the religious world? Let me answer the question. Which world crucified Jesus, the secular world or the religious world? The religious world. They were the ones who put him on trial. They were the ones who made up the, the, made up the false accusations. They're the ones who pressured Rome to, to put him to death, right? They were the ones. That, it's really interesting. If you read the Gospel of Mark, and of course um, Tracy's doing that on Sunday morning, 72 verses into Mark, and it says, and they were plotting to kill him. And look at who the they are. It wasn't the leper. It wasn't the woman caught in adultery. It wasn't the people of... It was the religious world. Because Jesus was a threat. And they knew it. Because he said, I have come... He said, you destroy this temple and I'll what? You didn't mess with their temple. You think people get upset about things going on in the auditorium in our fellowship. You just didn't mess with the temple. Okay? People who should have liked Jesus didn't like him. So Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. And then an interesting thing happens. His disciples returned. Where had they been? They had been in town, probably went in town to get something, to, some food. Now let's think about it. Jesus is at the well. The town is two miles away. The woman walks to the, ta to the temple by, her, excuse me, to the, to the uh, well by herself. So what does that mean? While she's going to the well, the 12 disciples are going to a town, and what do they do? They what? They cross paths. Now, I want you to picture this for just a minute. Think outside the box, right? Woman's walking to a well, carrying a heavy clay pot. 12 guys are coming in the opposite direction. What happens? Do what? Nothing. What should have happened? 
Come on. What should have happened? What should have happened? At least two of them said, hey, listen, we'll carry that pot for you. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do that? We have a hint in John chapter 4, because the woman says to Jesus, you know, how can you talk to me for I am a Samaritan woman? And in parentheses, John puts for explanation, because for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, here's an interesting thing. They get back to the well, and what's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing? He's associating. In fact, they are surprised. They're shocked to find him talking to this woman. You see, folks, that's one of the things, one of the reasons in my prayer just a few minutes ago. My prayer said, help us to see the things you want us to see, hear the things you want us to hear, learn the things you want us to learn, and then live it. It does absolutely no good to know God's word if you're not going to live it. And folks, these guys had seen Jesus interacting with who? All kinds of people. And yet here they're walking along, 12 guys, and a woman comes carrying a heavy clay pot, and not one of them apparently offers to say, hey, let me carry that with you, and think about the conversation they could have had. You know, Jesus says if you're... If, you're, if uh, someone, uh, you know, you're carrying your, uh, somebody compels you to carry their load one mile, what do you do? What do you do? Now, see, in, in that culture, a Roman soldier could force a Jewish man to carry his equipment. Now, he didn't give him the sword, but he gave him all the other equipment. All right? So imagine you're out there working in your, in your front, front of your house, or you're working in the field, and this Roman soldier comes along and says, hey, carry my... Uh, Carry my stuff, all right? And so you've got you to carry it one mile, all right? So what are you doing while you're carrying the man's stuff? You're the Jewish man who's been compelled to carry the Roman soldier's stuff. What are you doing as you're carrying that stuff? What are you doing? What? You're counting steps. And man, you get to one mile, boom, what do you do? But what did Jesus say to do? Why? Now imagine you're the Roman soldier. You get to the end of the one mile. And the Jewish man says to you, I tell you what, I'll carry it another mile. Now, you're the Roman soldier. What happens then? You want to know why? What, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Well, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says that I ought to carry this a second mile. Who is this Jesus? Folks, it's, it's amazing. If we're willing... now. I'm going to make a statement right now, which I believe to be true, and I would love for you to show me otherwise. Name one person or group of people that Jesus did not fellowship with. Jesus fellowshiped everyone. Now, different degrees or levels of fellowship. But somehow, some way, in the history of Christianity, word has gotten out, you don't fellowship with them because they believe differently folks that's not jesus 
He ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. He ate with his disciples. And he ate with Pharisees. He ate with everybody. Because if you're not willing to fellowship or associate with somebody, why should they be willing to listen to anything you have to say? Right? So his disciples returned, find him, surprised to find him talking with a woman, but nobody asked anything, all right? Now, they, I love this. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. The word went literally means ran. She ran back to the town two miles away and said to all the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Well, everybody in the community pretty much knew most everything she had done. And then she said this, could this be the Messiah? Now, this is not all of her testimony. But folks, as far as I can tell, this is the first gospel sermon in the gospels. And it's given by a... Many of the people, now listen to this, many of the people believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Okay? Now, most of us in this room initially came to Jesus because of someone else. I came because of Debbie, Rick because of a, a co-worker, many of you because your parents or grandparents, right? All right? Now, but this is what happens. So they came to him, and they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed Two days. Now, who's the they? Those people, the Samaritans. The ones that everybody else would do everything to avoid contact with. They asked Jesus to come and stay in the village for how long? Two days. And what does he do? Now, you got to remember, folks, the Jews had very, very strict sec sec separation and segregation traditions. I won't say laws, I'll say traditions, because many of them were not in the Word of God. They had strong traditions about who they could and could not sit, sit with, eat with, fellowship, or touch. And Jesus ignored every one of them. He let a leper approach him. Not only did he let that leper approach him, he reached out and touched him. Okay. He let a woman, I, I asked this question one time <coughs> in a class and some people went, didn't know what to do with it. Do you think Jesus was ever tempted sexually? Well, well no, well, listen, well, I understand that, but let's think about it. Have you ever thought of Jesus being tempted sexually? Now, we don't want, you know, sex, there's two things we don't talk about in the church. Sex and money is if we don't have either one. My kids think they're the second and third immaculate conceptions. Folks, you don't have a woman start crying over your feet, let down her hair, wipe them with her, dry them with her hair, and that is not physically arousing. But there's a difference between temptation and sin acting on that sin. Folks, I believe Jesus was tempted even sexually, but I can't prove it. But I will talk about it because we need to talk about those things. That's true. Now, so here's the question. What do you think happened during those two days? The two days that Jesus is in the village, what do you think took place? Say it again, Lonnie, a little louder. 
Say it again. There were a lot of questions being asked and a lot of answers being given. And then it says this. And because of his many words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we what? We know that this man is the Savior of the world. Because they asked questions and they got answers. All right? There, because of faith, became this I know faith. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. John, John's disciples told him all these things about Jesus. And John sent two of his disciples to Jesus. And they said, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect or be looking for someone else? What's going on here? What's going on? What's going on? Rick? Okay, someone else. Yes, Rick, you check. Okay, why is that? We're going, to talk, we're going to go more detail here in just a minute. Where is John at this particular moment? Excuse me? Who's prison? He's in Herod's prison, so that means he gets, uh, he gets to make one phone call to his lawyer, right? You go to Herod's prison, where do you go next? Where do you go next? Cemetery, Right? Now, John has been arrested because he criticized Herod for taking his brother's wife, which was against the law, and Herod was a half-Jew and should have been following the laws of, of Israel, but he didn't. So John's been arrested for preaching the truth. And he gets in prison, and he begins to have doubts. That's what this question is really all about. Are you the one? So like Chuck said, just a few minutes, of all the people who've ever walked the face of the earth, who knew who Jesus was? There was a voice that came down from heaven. James Earl Jones spoke. That deep voice. I, I've always wondered what the voice of God was, you know. This is my son. With him I am well. See, John knew. The skies opened up. The Holy Spirit came down looking like a dove. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And yet, because his circumstances... Changed. He begins to have. Anybody been there? Anybody ever been there? Right. You get that diagnosis. You get that phone call. Right. John is expressing his doubts about Jesus. Now, um, Chuck mentioned just a few minutes ago the difference between Jesus's ministry and John's. And it says right here that at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. John doesn't do anything like that. 
Because John's ministry and Jesus' ministry were very different. Real quick, John went about preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As far as I can tell, all John ever did was preach. Preach and baptize. And he said, as is written in the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, for every valley shall be filled in, and every hill leveled off. The crooked roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. What John did is John was sent ahead of Jesus to introduce something totally different. How are you when you hear something different for the first time? Let's say you hear something about faith in Christ very different from what you've always believed or always been taught. What's your initial reaction? Julie. I'm sorry, you want to what? Okay. But your initial response was to say, no. Now, folks, look at, let me show you, show, show you something real quick. John went about preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Who did he preach that to? Who did he preach that to? It wasn't the Gentiles. Now, you've been raised all your life to believe you are one of God's chosen people. I'm a child of Abraham. I, we have the temple in Jerusalem. We have the law of Moses. And along comes this character who says, you've got to repent. What's your initial reaction? What's your reaction to that? I don't need to repent. I'm one of God's chosen people. My name is already written in the book of life. What do I need to repent of? And so that's how he's making smooth or preparing the way for the Lord. He's, he's introducing this. He says, all mankind shall see God's salvation. Now, I have always wanted to start a sermon this way. I'm not going to. You talk about get people's attention. You brood of vipers. You pit full of snakes. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? And he says, produce fruit in keeping and repentance. There needs to be evidence of this. And then he says, and do not, be able, do not say again to yourselves, I've been raised in the church. Now, that's a real biblical terminology. You cannot find that in Scripture. But how many times have you heard that? Or faithful member of the church. How about faithful follower of Christ? Let's get it right. Okay? And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit, good fruit will be cut down. Now, Jesus' ministry is totally different. Luke chapter 4. Hang on, let me get my notes here. Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into his hometown. And what typically would happen in those cultures or those times, 
someone would be asked to get up and read uh, from the prophet or read from the law, read from the prophet, and give kind of a little exposition on that. So Jesus is handed the uh, role of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now here's the Lord's ministry. He has anointed me. He has chosen me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim, proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, we typically look at these from a physical aspect, but let me tell you about the spiritual aspect. Number one, he's to preach the good news to the who? What kind of poor? Those who understand and know I cannot do anything to save myself. I'm helpless. I am spiritually helpless. Captives are those who have been taken captive by the lies of Satan. You ever met anybody who thought they were too, they were, they were too evil or done too many bad stuff for God to ever forgive? All right? They're taken captive by Satan. Recovery of sight for the blind. This is very interesting. It means to help people see again. And the word blind here is you can't see something clearly. And folks, that's what religion does. Religion blinds people to Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. The Jews should have been able to see Jesus for exactly who he was, but their religion didn't allow for it. And so what happens is Jesus came to help them to be able to see clearly once again. Release the oppressed are those who have been crushed by life, battered and bruised. Know anybody like that? And then last of all, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That means that now the Lord can be accepted by who? Everyone. And then he says to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and they got really upset about that. All right. So John asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus says, okay, go back and report to John what you've seen as heard. Now, this is the report the disciples are to give John for his question, are you the one, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Here's their response. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news preached to the poor. Question. What do you not hear in John's response? Excuse me, Jesus' response to John. What do you not hear? All right, there's the question. There's the answer. What do you not hear? Say again. Okay, what else? Julie? Okay, what else? What do you not hear in Jesus' response? He doesn't criticize them. Adam? Okay. Okay. Hey, Bob, good to see you. It's one of my neighbors, Bob. One of the best men I've ever met in my life. I've only known him about two months. He doesn't criticize him. You took advantage of that $20 bill, didn't you? That's right, man. Is that, did I say it the right way, Bob? Okay. He didn't criticize him. He doesn't condemn him. Right? 
But what, what do you hear in Jesus' response to John? Say again, Chuck. You know what I hear? I hear John, excuse me, I hear Jesus reminding John and reminding Clay, the kingdom is not about you. The kingdom is not about you. We make it so much about... I had a friend the other day, and as she's standing at the back door, this lady comes out, and she says, I didn't get anything out of that worship. And he said, good, because we weren't worshiping you. Now, you may laugh, but folks, we have made our worship assemblies about who? Say it. We made it about who? Me. No, not you. I make it about me because I want things to be done the way what? I want them to be. He says to John, John, the kingdom is not about you. John, remember, the blind, blind receive sight. That's part of Jesus' ministry. The lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf are here, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And you remember? Oh, let me, hold on just a minute. Let me go. For, and then he says this. Blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. The word blessed here is the idea of eternal security and spiritual satisfaction. It's when I realize, you know what? Jesus gives me everything I need, but not necessarily what I... And let me ask you a question. What gets you in trouble, your needs or your wants? He says, blessed is the person who does not fall away. And the word here is scandalizo, which is where we get the English word scandal. And this, a scandal is the idea is to stumble or trip over, and it's the idea of to fall away. Blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me because of their expectations. You ever know anybody who come to, came to Christ and they were thinking, okay, I now have become a Christian, I'm not going to have any, any what? Any troubles? And the, and the minute the first one comes along, what do they do? Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower, right? The, so, the seed that fell on the, on the, on the thorny soil, Right? In the rocky soil, all right? We really have no record of John's response to Jesus' reply, but I imagine me, he, I picture him sitting there in the cell and saying, oh, that's right. He must become greater, and I must become, there ain't a preacher in our fellowship who believes that. There's not a preacher in the fellowship who believes the guy coming after me is going to be greater than me because all, we all think we're what? We think we're the hottest thing in the world. Folks, this is humility. This is being obedient to God. All right, I, I got I to gotta get out of here real quick. All right, he must become greater and I must become less important. So do we allow others to express their doubts as Jesus did? All right, real quick. Here's what you do when someone ex asks questions or expresses doubts about their faith. All ready? Number one, listen and love. Listen. Don't interrupt them. 
Don't tell them you're wrong or you shouldn't do that. Listen to them. Love them. And give them real answers. If they ask you what is grace, don't say unmerited favor because that doesn't communicate anything. Go deeper. Talk about that undeserved gift that not only do they not deserve, I don't deserve, all right? Give them real answers. One of the best answers you can give somebody is, is I don't know. But I'll find out the answer. Or let's look at that together. Number three, share your questions, your doubts, and your struggles. I remember one time a gentleman came forward, confessed a particular sin in his life, and uh, later on we were standing out of the door, and this, another brother came up to him, and he said, I thought I was the only per person in the church that had that struggle. I have a sermon and I put a trash can by the door and it says, leave your mask here. The greatest Academy Award performances do not take place in Hollywood. You know where they take place? In our auditoriums on a Sunday morning because we all walk in here and say everything is fine. Now, those of you who known me for a long time know when you say to me fine, I'm going to ask you now, how are you really doing? Okay. Share your questions, your doubts, and your struggles. I love this cartoon here. A Christian who says they have no questions or doubts. The front view, and then the what? What does that mean? Shallow. Listen and love. Give them real answers. Share your questions, your doubts, and your struggles. Encourage their search to strengthen their faith. I love this passage in Timothy. So encourage one another. The word encourage is a great word. It means to come and stand alongside somebody. Can I stand next to you, Bob? Absolutely. It means to come and stand alongside somebody. That is so encouraging, right? I love when Jesus healed the leper. He didn't just say to him, your sins are forgiven or you're, you're, you're clean. He went over and what? Touched him because it probably had been years since the guy had actually been touched by somebody. So encourage one another, build each other up, just in fact you're doing. So there, because of faith, may become, oops, whoa, all right. So there, because of faith, may become this I know faith. Now, I love this passage out of Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen. Now, it's very interesting, according to whose needs? Their needs, not. Now, those of you who know me, is in, I, have, I grew up with four sisters, so teasing young ladies just comes natural. All right? So we had this young lady in our, in our congregation in Bloomington, and I just, her, her mother was a secretary. I just loved her to death. I went up to her and said, Olivia, I read this scripture the other day, and I got to tell you, I got to quit teasing you. You know, because I want to be obedient. Six weeks later, she goes to Amy and says, Amy, your dad said he's not going to tease me anymore. Can you tell him it's about to drive me crazy? But I want to share with you what the King James translation says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may bring grace to those who hear. Let me ask you a question. Who needs grace? Everybody say me. Me. 
We all need grace. There's too much ungrace in the world, and there's too much ungrace in the church. Okay? Let people express their doubts and ask their questions and guide them in that search. Let's close out with a prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for the gift of your son. And we praise you in his name as together we all say, amen. All right, we'll get started in a few minutes. I want to ask you, look around. If you see somebody sitting in here you don't know, go introduce yourself. Don't wait for them to come to you. Thank you.